Hey, you're listening to Cut for Time, a podcast from Faith Church located on the north side of Indianapolis. My name is Claire Kingsley. Each week, I'll sit down with one of our preaching pastors to discuss their Sunday sermon. Cut for Time is a look behind the scenes of sermon preparation, and they'll share with us a few things that we didn't hear from the sermon on Sunday. Thanks for listening. Welcome, Joey, to Cut for Time. Uh, it's, it's great to be here. Are you going to include all that stuff? that we just said at the very end. I think you should. Um, uh, I don't know. I mean, because the, the lesson is not that you sounded sick last week, it's that you did the podcast even though you were sick. So Thanks. Thanks. Why don't you give us a summary from your sermon on Sunday? Uh, yeah. Okay. So real quickly, um, this was the first part of a two-part sermon. Pastor Jeff's going to take the second part. This is Paul's gospel relationship intervention after three and a half chapters of saying these People coming in, teaching you this other stuff, not good. You should not be in a relationship with these teachers. Now he's finally saying it's time to end it. He's not quite there yet in this passage. In this passage, he's reinforcing his friendship with them, their friendship with him, and then pointing out the truth about these other guys before next week when he tells a story and then drops the hammer and says, you have got to break up with these false teachers. So Mm -hmm. this week I led us through. Paul's relationship with them and their relationship with him, the depth of the friendship that connects a good pastor with his congregation, and the what's really going on with these false teachers. We looked at verse 17, 18 about that, and the emotional manipulation and the self-serving nature of what these guys are teaching, and then circled back around to like Paul's heart as a pastor in verse 19, and then his appeal to them to become like he is. It's, that's the first command in the whole letter so far, become like me, mm-hmm. uh, which, which strikes us as odd, but should also come with a lot of force because it's the first mm-hmm. one after three and a half chapters, um, become like me. Well, what does that mean? So I talked about that as well too. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, can you give us an idea of how this is connected? Like what should we keep in mind and carry over to next week's sermon when we're listening to Jeff preach? Yeah, um, I think the biggest thing to keep over, even beyond the structure of what's going on in, in the argument or anything, is just the heart with which Paul is approaching them. You know, I told a story um, about my wife and her dad and a relationship intervention that he did way back before she and I were even dating, and which I had her permission to use, by the way. Um, but it's that kind of heart that is going into this. This isn't Paul being petty. Like, I want you guys to believe me and not them, you know, or um, gosh, don't you understand how bad these other people are? Like, uh, I feel like we're, you know, we're, we were supposed to be friends and now we're not anymore. That's, that's not it at all. Like he is looking at their future and seeing spiritual religious slavery and saying, I do not want that for you. Um, and so, I said in the sermon, like he is willing to get in our faces if it means he can turn us back to the face of Jesus. Okay. So keeping that tone in mind, the that intention. Yeah. Yes. Keep the heart in mind, keep the heart mm-hmm. and, and the tone. Um, because, it, you know, in another passage where Paul's doing something similar in Philippians there, he says like, I'm warning you about these false teachers and I'm warning you with tears because I see what they are doing to you. I'm not happy with I'm not happy with what they're doing to you and I'm not happy with what they're doing to themselves. Um, it's like breaking his heart. So mm-hmm. keep that heartbreak in mind. Okay. This isn't Paul with a baseball bat, like taking out the bad guys. Like this okay. is Paul as a pastor describing himself more like a mother than a soldier, just weeping over what he sees happening. 
Yeah, that's great. That's important to keep in mind. That uh, so that also really changes the way that we interpret a passage, right? And like we always are filtering it through the tone that we think it's being like written in or spoken in. Mm -hmm. And so that's mm -hmm. really helpful. So thank you. Yeah. All right, Joey, why don't you just give us a little bit of background behind sermon prep in general? Where does it all start? And, um, you know, from the very beginning of your intention upon like beginning a, to look at a passage to the very end of delivery, what yeah. do you try and keep in mind that entire time? Uh, yeah, well, that, I mean, that's a good question. So where does it start? Uh, with the Bible. Um, actually, when I say that, that, that sounds facetious, but it's not right. Because it's very easy to, or I shouldn't say very easy. One of the ways that sometimes preachers approach the Sunday morning sermon is to look at the congregation and say, what do they need to hear? Or what problems do they have? Or how do they need to grow? Um, oh, hey, uh, we're behind on budget. We need to grow in financial faithfulness. Let's uh, let's preach a series on biblical finances and let's um, let's find some passages that talk about money. That is a totally legit way to preach. I'm not I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. In fact, most of the New Testament is written as a response to problems or questions or needs in the church. Right? Okay. Uh, none of the New Testament letters, except maybe Hebrew, is a systematic development of an Old Testament book in the ways that we preach now. So that's legit. I'm, I'm not, it's, it's not my preferred method, but it's legit. And from time to time, you know, we say, hey, there's a topic we got to handle. Uh, we got to address this. And so let, we're not going to just stick in one book about it. We're going to look at different stuff across scripture to, to see what it has to say. So, um, so we start with scripture. That's why we're, we're preaching through Galatians. But when we come to the actual Sunday morning sermon, you know, we've, we've broken this down. We're doing verses 12 through 20 of chapter 4. What's the point? What's the goal? What are we trying to get done with this ser with this sermon? Um, there's a couple of different ways that that I guess people tend to approach. Preachers tend to approach the Sunday morning sermon. Like, what's the point of it? Why do we do it at all? Right. Mm -hmm. um, w one of the ways that it is, I don't know what I'm trying to say. One of the one of the ways to do it that it was difficult to approach it that way from this passage is. Some people see the Sunday morning sermon as kind of a counseling session. So you're standing in front of your congregation. You see like, hey, there's a need people have, and I'm going to meet that need um, through scripture. And that tends to lend itself towards the, so I'll pick verses that address it, you know, starting with that need. But even when we are walking through a book like this, you look, come to verses 12 through 20 and you're like, okay, hey, this verse is raising a need, uh, a problem. And I will give the solution and then give people an application, some specific things they can do so it makes a difference in their life on Monday. And there's a good sort of impulse underneath that um, sermon as counseling session approach. It's like, yeah, when you learn about who Jesus is, that should make a difference in your life. Mm -hmm. um, but it can sometimes sort of short circuit actual internal and deep change because it's just laying external um, guidelines or disciplines over no inward change. So in my opinion, that, that kind of approach is, a, is insufficient. There's a slightly more evangelically acceptable approach, which is like seeing the Sunday morning sermon as a discipleship growth opportunity. Mm -hmm. Like we are together in order to disciple people through the sermon. So instead of me starting with what your problem is and trying to address it, 
or starting necessarily with, we, we instead start with the text and say, hey, it raises a problem, uh, not so much a problem, but it raises a growth area. And here's how you become more like Jesus because of this text. So we're reading Galatians 4, 12 through 20, and we're like, hey, here's how you become more like Jesus. Um, you need to grow in this area. So, I, you know, my goal is, if I'm preaching this way, is to be, you know, as motivational as possible. Like, God wants you to grow. You can grow. You need to be more like Jesus. Here's some stuff you can do. Maybe not necessarily on Monday, but over the course of the next week or the month, that'll help you become more like Jesus. Mm -hmm. Again, not a bad impetus, not a bad approach to preaching. Um, but it's, it's not the approach or the main approach that we try to take at faith. Um, our goal anytime we get up and preach is for people in the congregation to respond to the text by worshiping Jesus through whatever passage we're talking about. Anywhere in scripture, whatever we're talking about, the goal is to worship Jesus through that text however it points us back to him. And then to think through, in light of my worship of who Jesus is, how does that change my life? Um, how does that affect my life? And so, it, again, it, you know, you, you come down to application every time. You come down to specific help as much as you can. But there's a difference between I have a problem, I want God to, to fix it, or I have a growth opportunity and I, I want the motivation to, you know, get myself to grow versus I want to worship Jesus. We've said here over the years that our our discipleship philosophy, for lack of a better word, really comes down to Second Corinthians three, where um, where Paul is writing and saying that we are transformed when we gaze into the face of Christ, when we gaze into the goodness of God to us in Jesus. That's what transforms us. That worship transforms us, and as we think through the implications of that worship. Uh, that's what changes things in our, our everyday life. So our first and primary goal is to worship Jesus through the text. And if we miss specific application um, or the outline isn't memorable or anything like that, that's fine. Because the goal isn't to remember the outline or to know exactly what you should do on Monday. Mm -hmm. The goal is to worship Jesus and then to think through how that worship affects our life the rest of the week. Yep. So, so was that, was that what you were asking about? Cause yeah, I don't know yeah, if I actually answered your question. Okay. No, no, no. That was great. So um, then can you connect that to the very end of your delivery of your sermon now um, from Sunday? What did we walk away with? What in this text helped us to, or like prompted us to praise Jesus? What did we get out of this that would prompt yeah. us to praise the Lord? Yeah. Um, well, in this particular passage, right. So this is a, a, a situation where, Paul is talking very specifically to a specific group of individuals in a very specific situation and giving them direct commands based on that situation. So it's one of those instances where we're like, well, but we're not them at that time in that situation. So what does it have to say for us? So we, we have to understand that immediate context and then kind of step back or step up a level and say, well, what... Um, you know, if we're not Galatian Gentile believers in Jesus who are being, or who uh, false teachers are trying to convince us to become Jewish in order to know that we're really part of the Messiah's family, right? Very few of us are facing that temptation. So uh, none of us are in that situation. What are we supposed mm -hmm. to do? You know, when Paul says, break up with these false teachers, what are we supposed to do about that? Well, what we did this last Sunday was try to step back or step up a level and say, why is Paul making this appeal? 
because he sees the spiritual slavery in their future, the religious slavery. He doesn't want them to go down that road. He wants them to go towards the road of freedom in Christ. So what about us? Which road are we on? We also looked at Paul's heart as a pastor when he describes in verse 19 that he, he's more like a mother trying to, he uses the analogy of labor and of actually you know, forming a child within you, something I've never done. Um, but from the one time I've been around it, up close and personal, it wasn't a fun nine months. And the actual birth labor wasn't particularly fun either. But that's the thing about moms is that they willingly enter into pain and suffering for the purpose of growing life in others, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And that's Paul's heart in this passage. He's, he described himself as a mom, willingly again entering into all the pain of forming and giving birth to a child and to a, a church community because that's what a good pastor does. Why does a good pastor do that? Because that's what Jesus did. Um, when Paul says in verse 12, become like me, he's not saying, you know, you need to believe like me, become like me, be my little clone or anything. He's saying, especially because we've already read it, like he's like, I'm living my life as someone who realizes that I, my life was crucified with Jesus, but I'm still alive, except I'm living this life in the this life of faithfulness to the Son of God because of the faithfulness of Son of God. And so it's his power living in me. It's like, that's what I want for you. So mm-hmm. we see Paul's heart and through his heart as a pastor, we step back, we see Jesus's heart. And we say, what this means is that if Jesus was willing, like a mother, willingly entering into pain and suffering so that he could bring about life in others, and that Paul as a pastor is emulating Jesus. He's letting the story, that story shape his own life and ministry of mm-hmm. willingly entering into death, entering into pain to bring life to others. Then A, we worship Jesus because he's done that for us. We praise him because he's done that for us. And then B, we look at our own lives and our own church community and say, am I willingly entering into pain and suffering in order to bring life in others? Or am I more likely to inflict pain and suffering on others in order to feel alive myself? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So okay. that's how we worship Jesus through this text where Paul is telling uh, a bunch of Galatian uh, Gentiles that they need to break up with their false teachers. Mm-hmm. So I have a question for you. When we are doing our own Bible study, you know, I and I'm sure others are tempted to always always wonder, like, what did I just get out of that? You know, there are plenty of texts or books that we can read um, or passages and we wonder, like, so what was the point? You know, did I grow through that? Was, you know, was mm-hmm. I spiritually nourished through that text when it seems like I'm still left trying to figure out what's the application? What does it mean for me? We're tempted to, like, want to have something to walk away with. So, yeah, right. you know, do you think that it's, like also appropriate to say the purpose of our own Bible study should not, our primary purpose should not be what can I get out of it, but it's prompting us to just praise Jesus. And that's enough. That's great. Um, That does transform us. And if we are able to apply it to our life, or if there is that parallel, that's a bonus. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously like the question underneath it is, hey, when I come to God's word and allow it to shape me, shouldn't that change my life like in ways that I can point to? Absolutely. Does that mean that every single time you sit down and read scripture, you are going to come away with three key things to do tomorrow or today or whatever? Very rarely. I mean, liken it to a, 
any other relationship, a friendship, a parent-child relationship, a husband-wife relationship, you know, every single time you have a conversation with Nathan, do you walk away from that conversation going, now what three things do I need to apply mm-hmm. from that conversation? No, of course not, because he's a nine. He's a peacemaker. He's never going to tell you to do anything. So, <laughs> No challenging. Well, no challenging well. there. This is a shout out to Nathan. We'll find out if he listens to Cup for Time now. <laughs> Never. <laughs> if I get in trouble. <laughs> no, I, but I mean, any, you know, when you, when you snuggle with uh, Hazel and Addie, like you don't walk away from that going, um, oh man. I mean, sometimes you walk away from that and you're like, I really need to do this more often. Right. But most of our scripture reading is just being with Jesus, mm-hmm. being with God through his word. It's not about trying to, you know, if you read 12 through 20 here and you're like, well, that was interesting. What am I supposed to do tomorrow? maybe confront people who have the gospel wrong? Well, maybe, Yeah. but 12 through 20 wasn't written to you with a message to you. It was written to these Galatian Gentiles and it was written for us, right? Like mm-hmm. we as a church and as individuals grow through our reading of this. But even if you sat down and read this individually in the ESV, like I'm holding right here, you know, you may even come away with this problem of seeing this passage as only individual for yourself. I didn't bring this up in the sermon, but every single you in this passage is you all. It's plural. Brothers, I entreat you all become as I am, for I also have become as you all are. You all did me new wrong. You all know it was because of the body ailment, you know, the, the entire passage. So when he says, um, my little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. He's saying in you all, in you as a community, individually, of course, you know, we grow individually, but we grow you all as a community. And so reading the passage and being like, all right, it's not really good devotions until I walk away with personal individual application um, is I think approaching scripture and trying to get it to do something it was never designed to do. Mm-hmm. It's designed to introduce us and hold forward for us the glory of God's goodness to us in the face of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And we see that in this church in Galatia and Paul's interaction with them and their, their temptation to add on to the gospel. And all of that drives us back to God's goodness to us in Jesus. And yeah. that transforms. And then as we, as we think about and meditate and think about the implications of that, that means our, you know, daily application, weekly application, not something specific here. Like, well, I need to accept people with bodily ailments because they might be angels. Not the point, yeah. right? Yeah. Yep. Awesome. That's so helpful. Thank you, Joey, and um, thanks for taking time out of your day to do. Oh yeah. Cup for time for us. Absolutely. No, I love it. This is a fun conversation. I will say, I'm going to add one more note though about application. Sure. If you read, so you're reading a passage like this, you're reading 12 through 20, or you're somewhere in Leviticus, whatever, and you're like, I don't understand how this applies to my life. That is totally fine. Mm -hmm. Uh, what, What you do after you read it is simply in prayer, say, thank you, Father, for showing your goodness in Jesus. Um, And then if there's anything beyond that, it's just help me rest in that goodness and live that, live that goodness out in front of others and for others. 
Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Cut for Time. If you wish to submit questions to our pastors following their sermon, you can email them to podcast at faithliveitout.org or text them into our Faith Church texting number, and we'll do our best to cover it in the week's episode. If this conversation blessed you in any way, we encourage you to share it with others. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week. I had a uh, preaching professor in college who hated the sound of his own voice. So he spent years deepening his voice, actively practicing. So instead of preaching up here where I do, by the time I had him as a past, as a uh, preaching professor, he preached way down here. And he told us he would stand in front of the mirror and repeat the word toast. Just trying to get the word as low as possible. He had the best voice. It was amazing. It was movie train quality voice oh my gosh. in a world where Jesus is king. I mean, he, but another octave lower than that. He's like wow. Morgan Freeman is amazing. Mm-hmm.